channel open. Welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network and presented in partnership with TrekCore.com. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on March 4th, 2023, and is current through the Star Trek Picard episode 17 seconds, so beware of spoilers. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. It's a catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a regular news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. We are in a new golden age of Star Trek, or are we? I guess we'll be talking about that in this episode. There are five television shows in production, though that number is about to decline. Possibly more on the way, and enough merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. So stick with me, and I'll help you sort the real facts from a lot of the Dominion propaganda that you'll find online. But I can't do this alone, and my guest this week is returning guest and co-host of On This Stardate with Brian Kane. It's Brian Kane. Brian, welcome back to Weekly Trek. Thanks for having me, Alex. You know, it, you got to remember, too, that now there's enough merchandise being hawked for, at 10 Forward as well. You know, Guinan <laughs> is hawking stuff for Frontier Day. Yeah, so. but, but nobody wants the fat ones, Brian. <laughs> <No>. oh, <laughs> uh, uh, man, we are such a sizeist society. When did this happen? I'm an Enterprise D man until I die. All right, Brian. Yeah, well, me, same here. <laughs> you know the drill. I want to know something's got you excited about Star Trek at the moment. There's certainly stuff that's got us not excited about Star Trek at the moment, but let's start on a positive note. What's got you moving at Warp 10? Oh, my God. Star Trek Picard season Hell three. yes. Oh, now see, you've seen the first six. Am I right? Yes, sir. Okay, I am. I am where I'm. Where we are on TV. I've been hearing both perspectives. You know, the the uh, all of my friends, you and, and a lot of other people who have seen the first six. I've seen the first three. Um, I talked to Rod Roddenberry recently, and uh, he's with us. Uh, those of us out in, in audience land who are you know just up to where Paramount Plus is. And um, how are you waiting for the remaining four? <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know how are you how are you doing that? <laughs> uh, it's been hard. It's been hard, but hey, we're halfway there. So uh, um, oh, yeah, we're man. halfway from a little over halfway, I guess, from when we got the episodes to when episode seven comes out. So, and you yeah. know, honestly, it's like I revisit each episode each week, right? Mm -hmm, like I'll mm -hmm. watch it on Paramount Plus, you know, because the screener platform's fine, but it's not like the most amazing thing in the world, right? Like, yes, you get to the episodes, but you don't mm -hmm. get the full. Experience. experience of them so i do like to watch it on paramount plus in 4k with the proper audio you oh, know yeah. on the day that it comes out that is you know the best way to see it and yeah like last night i rewatched one through three on paramount plus just because i was too. in the mood me too me too i i, oh, I can't say how many times I don't even know how many times I've rewatched yes, each Brian. episode. How many times have you rewatched uh, each episode? God, at least 10 times each episode. Each, <laughs> at least nice. 10. At least 10. At least. So the day that Star Trek Picard premiered, January X 2020, I took the day off and I rewatched the series pilot Remembrance mm -hmm. uh, nine times in one day. Oh wow. 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 Now see, you know, I had a hard time. I had to watch it. I had to rewatch it a couple of times, but it wasn't because of uh I wasn't sure what it was. I, I I was trying to get a baseline for how I was feeling about the way that it started, the way that I felt it was going to go. I was so excited to see him back. Yeah, Patrick Stewart back as John Luke Picard, obviously. But I was trying to figure out if because we had had one prior new show to this at that time in the last decade and that was discovery 
And, um, you know, like it or or not, it's very different from what we were accustomed to. And I think sure. Picard was kind of following in, the, in, in that same mantra. So I wasn't sure how I felt about it. And ultimately, while there were things that I loved about seasons one and season two, mostly moments, some cases, whole episodes, I really was kind of, I, I really felt like I was shortchanged at the end of both seasons. So this one has been a stark contrast. And, you know, sure, to anyone out there, it's like, oh, they're saying that because the next gen folks are back that's part of it but the the next part of it is these characters are not the same people that we've seen 25 you know 20 plus years ago they're in different places and it's interesting to see because we never got the time away from the next generation cast the way that people got time away from the original series cast you know you had 10 years between the series and the first movie and the same people weren't working on the movies as the television series. So that was always my problem with Next Gen, is the Next Gen movies didn't feel that different from the series, and they weren't far enough removed, so we never got a chance to miss them. And ultimately, they never went, you know, Kirk got promoted, and 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 Spock was uh, off trying to achieve the Kulinar, but it's just different. And so this gives us the opportunity to have missed them and see where they're at now. We're far enough removed from these characters to be interested in and hope that they're different. And they are. And I love that. I love that more than anything. Yeah. And this actually ties in pretty well with what I'm feeling good about Star Trek this week, which I tweeted about yesterday and kind of wanted to, you know, sort of talk about a little bit more on the show, which is like something about season three that sets it apart from seasons one and two for me is the way in which the show is not shying away from wanting to fill in some of the details about what happened to these characters between when you saw them last and when you see them today. Season one and two felt they didn't want to do that, right? They didn't want to tell you anything except what was extremely relevant to the story they were telling. You know, like season one, right? You find out a little bit about Riker and Troy when you meet them, because then it's relevant to the story. But all these sort of like details of the universe and all these other pieces that like, for me, I'm not saying this is true for everybody, but for me really adds to my appreciation for the story and sort of that like star trekiness of it all that was more absent in one and two and is very much present in season three a good example of that comes right from 17 seconds right that fabulous scene between picard and crusher where she is basically explaining like why did she not tell picard about the existence of jack crusher and i have some issues with that character decision and that character choice i feel like They started with the premise that they wanted to have Picard to have a son, but the condition would be that, obviously, you know, he didn't mention a son in seasons one and two, and there's been no reference to a child, so, like, by the time you get to season three, he would have to not know about his son, which means that Beverly would have to have had a reason why to do that, and you sort of the math works back from there. It doesn't come from, we want Beverly to make this choice, and therefore that comes after it comes from, we want Picard to be in this situation, and then you back Matt from there. But, uh, so, I I have a little bit of an issue with that, but if you set that aside, right, like, what an amazingly fabulous scene between Sir Patrick Stewart and Gates McFadden, and the dialogue is 
terrific and like so when crusher starts talking about right like adventures that we didn't see reman assassins and talking to the praetor and this that and the other and it's like yes right like i like this it helps me ground myself in this universe it helps explain the characters better it helps explain their experiences better and by understanding their experiences better i understand who they are today better versus you know like season one and two where it was just a little bit like well here's where they are today a period of time has passed since star trek nemesis and we're not going to really talk about anything that happened in that period we're just going to focus on what's happening today and like for me that does help create that sense of disconnection from the characters and distance from the characters and so it's a little thing and some people would call it fan service and and i you know i would say you know that it, it is fair to label it fan service but it is also important for helping us understand who these characters are and why and the season three production team have not been shy about saying things about what's happened in star trek since star trek nemesis in the late 24th century whereas some of the other shows have just been really and this is not just a picard thing this I mean, I, I think this has been a big problem for Discovery too, particularly since oh, it's got future. It's like them not wanting to like play with the universe. And so I'm just really pleased to see Picard season three playing with the universe. You hit it right on the head. What I was thinking the entire time you're talking about this, because it's always been my chief problem with modern Star Trek is that it, you know, up until Strange New Worlds, it really kind of felt like and, and maybe even Lower Decks, although I don't count that because that's a comedy series, but um, even though it's canon, it just felt like modern Star Trek was afraid to play with the knowledge and the tools uh, the storyline tools, the story devices given to them by the universe, both Discovery and the first two seasons of Picard, well, less the uh, second season than the first, ran away from that. It was kind of like the way Rick Berman had Next Generation run away from the original series. No references, you know, in the episode with Sarek, the first episode of Next Gen with Sarek in season three, where his own illness is causing the crew to react in an interesting emotional fashion. They didn't want him to mention, they wanted no mention of Spock was the direction that Rick Berman gave to the production team and to the cast. No references to Spock, even though this is Spock's father, Sarek. You know, he's a Federation ambassador. He's very important, but we're running from that universe. We don't need to rely on the original series and that part of the lore in order to tell our story. The way that Rick Berman in Next Gen ran from the original series, it, it's always felt that way to me with the first two seasons of, of Picard and a lot of the way through Discovery, even though there's elements in Discovery that remind us of where we're at, the Forever Guardian, uh, the Mirror Universe, the plot device of, of it taking place on a starship. Beyond these ba very basic things, it's always felt kind of removed. And, and it's like I told you when I, you know, when we first talked, I've always felt that Discovery's greatest strength was simultaneously its greatest weakness, which is it's different. You don't even really actually... I think some people would probably buy it more if they didn't call it a Star Trek television series. Because it doesn't actually have to be. And I've always felt that uh, Sonequa Martin-Green's character of Burnham was kind of kneecapped by the fact she had to be connected to Spock. She didn't have to be. She could have been a strong character on her own with no connection to legacy characters. But there is a reliance on modern Trek with legacy characters. So even though we run away from the lore, we run towards these familiar points of reference, which ultimately in the business world or for marketing purposes. So Picard goes full 
force into that. And some of us, uh, some audiences might argue that that is because of the success that Strange New Worlds had in running towards elements of the universe while simultaneously breaking canon. But, you know, don't get me started there, Alex. <laughs> don't get me. I won't get myself started. So there's a couple of different things we could say, like the fact that Spock should be with Layla Colomi right now instead of to bring. But I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna light that fuse. But you know, there's just a little bit more comfort on the part of Strange New Worlds and on the part of Picard season three with elements of this universe. And I also liked that you and I, long-term fans, we're gonna see different things. And the camera glides across and uh, on the Elios that represent that introduced to us that this is Doctor Crusher, right? The pearls and the the mask and the hypospray and Jack Crusher's uh, old uh, Starfleet luggage. You know, but somebody who's just jumping into it is curious. They're wondering, like, who's this person? Who, you know, maybe Jack's her husband, maybe Jack's her son or brother. Who is it? Uncle, father, you know? And we already know. And I like that this is kind of friendly to new audiences and that when they were establishing what was happening between Nemesis and now, Dr. Crusher was introducing all of us, those of us who have been fans and those of us who are newly joining by way of this show, Picard Season 3, we were learning new information, all of us together. You know, that none of us knew, you know, the things that you spoke about, the attempts on Picard's, multiple attempts on Picard's life. And then even the story of him being imprisoned for nine days. Why didn't we see this? I wanted to see that. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, at the point that we're going, we'll mine every um, every available space for... <laughs> for <laughs> for stories with legacy characters but uh, it's been great the drama the the conflict between the characters you know because they're allowed to operate outside of Roddenberry's box for a change it's it's, it's been amazing it's really been and then the ship the hero ship let's talk about the titan Gosh, that thing is beautiful. It's like watching the Enterprise from, you know, from the motion picture. Yeah, I love it. Well, it sounds like we're itching to talk about the news of the week. So with that, let's turn to the week's top stories. There's a war going on and I'm a reporter. Well, Star Trek Discovery, the show that ushered in a new era of Star Trek storytelling and blazed a new trail for diversity and representation within the Star Trek franchise, will end after the show's upcoming fifth season. Announced this week, Star Trek Discovery Season 5 will not only be the show's last, but it is also being held back until early 2024 to allow time to shoot new material to turn the end of the season into the end of the series. As lifelong fans of Star Trek, it has been an immense honor and privilege to help bring Star Trek Discovery to the world, said executive producers and co-showrunners Alex Kurtzman and Michelle Paradise. The Trek universe means so much to so many, including us, and we couldn't be prouder of everything Discovery has contributed to its legacy, particularly with representation. If just one person sees themselves or the possibilities for their future in a new way because of Discovery, then we think we'd have made Gene Roddenberry very proud. I'm astoundingly blessed by God to have played Captain Michael Burnham and to have taken part in a legacy alongside an extraordinary cast, phenomenal crew, and remarkable writing team, said Star and producer Sonequa Martin-Green. I will never forget how it felt to stand together as a show family cradling the heirloom of Trek with all those from the franchise at large and with the fans. 65 episodes later, here's to the entire company of Star Trek Discovery, to the show and its fifth and final season, to its beloved fans and to all those who envision a better future. Let's fly. 
It is not known how widespread knowledge of the show's cancellation was in advance of the news, but Doug Jones, who plays Saru, did tell a panel on the Star Trek cruise the very day the news came out that he had only learned about it a few hours before. And the need to shoot additional material for the ending of the show does also clearly indicate that season 5 was not planned to be the end, but alas, it is. But at the same time, five seasons of any show is pretty good for this current era of television. Actually, I said it's probably very good for this current era of television. And a number of studios are starting to make spending cuts on their streaming services as they seek to make the services profitable. And Paramount is no exception in struggling to turn a profit on its streaming service, Paramount+. Plus. But that is small comfort to Star Trek Discovery fans who were excited about season five premiering this year and were also excited about the possibility of a season six that now will not come to pass. Brian, we'd already started talking a little bit about this, but I guess what What's your reaction to the news that Star Trek Discovery will be coming to an end after the fifth season? You know, I was very surprised, but ultimately, you know, like like you said, you and I had started talking about it. So when you consider that other shows are going to have to enter production, it makes sense. If this was indeed as a result of Paramount's cost cutting, which, you know, we both suspect that that may very well be possible. It does make sense that it would be Discovery because uh, Lower Decks is tremendously successful right now. Picard is ending. Strange New Worlds is is rocking and rolling and into a second season and, and, and is tremendously successful also. And then also you have Prodigy, which doesn't rely specifically on a streaming audience as it's aired on Nickelodeon as well. So it kind of made sense that if a, another show was going to end its cycle, it was going to be Discovery. But that context had i had to arrive at that context through conversation first in order for it to make sense but as far as it ending i i think i'm not so sad about it ending because you know shorter lifespans are just the way of shows now and maybe that's better because you know everything moves so quickly we only tell stories in 10 episodes now and so because of that, maybe maybe this is the right time for it to end. Who knows? It does seem very sudden. I, I thought I read somewhere that they found out during a Zoom call while they were on the Star Trek cruise, the cast members of Discovery that were there. And so I think, and then the way that the initial footage was presented to us four or five months ago, you know, did not suggest that it was a final season. So it indicates that this is, this was a recent decision that has been made. Question is why? And another broader question for the future is what does that mean, you know, for the future of Star Trek programming? Because these shows are enormously expensive to produce. The bridge is now one of the most expensive places to shoot for, whereas it was kind of home base for us on prior television series and 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 much more simpler to shoot. So I think unless they can scale it down and get back to more story than perhaps excitement, action, and spectacle, then maybe uh maybe it is possible, right? That they can continue to produce these shows. Or maybe the cost cutting measures and the emphasis on on showtime being part of the whole Paramount Plus oeuvre is, um, you know, going to to impact that, you know. So I'm of a mixed heart about Discovery's ending, but you know, I'm. I think I would have to say that I'm more concerned about the future implications for the the Star Trek franchise because the film franchise. I mean, we don't know where that's going, and uh, streaming seems to be where it's at. But the streaming model, the bubble is bursting on that model, and it could affect shows 
that are of a huge of a more tremendous production value so i'm just not sure what that means yeah so for this episode i'm going to kind of split my comments into two sections at this point i'm just going to talk about discovery and then we hit the last section of the show i've more kind of thoughts on the dread line that you were just heading down around like what does this mean for the franchise as a whole because i think there's two interpretations for it and i'm candidly not sure like which way it comes down the sort of like rosy view of it or the pessimistic view of it but like just to just star trek discovery right news that it's ending my feelings about it have evolved a lot over the last few days since the cancellation was announced and i think where i have sort of landed is obviously i'm disappointed right like I enjoy Discovery. I have enjoyed watching Discovery. I I have enjoyed each of the seasons, you know, to a certain degree, right? It is not a perfect show. It is a show that, like, and particularly for me, the fourth season was my least favorite of Discovery to date, and probably one of my least favorite seasons of Star Trek that I've seen in a while. I was growing kind of tired with the way that the show had sort of put itself in a box about what it was structurally and narratively and wasn't really kind of doing anything to break out of that. But I was interested to see if they were going to do that in season five, right? Was season five going to be a bit of a, after having done season three and four, which were narratively and structurally, honestly, nearly very identical to each other in the way they kind of played out over the course of the season, was season five going to be a break from that? Was it going to be different? I don't know. We'll see, right? We've only seen a teaser trailer connected to it and now we won't see it until early 2024. So I I am sad about it. I mean, uh, you know, and I think back to my excitement in September of 2017 about Discovery premiering and the way that it was a Sunday and I got up early in the morning and this was at the point in time when CBS All Access was like dropping episodes in the evening rather than doing it. They were dropping it in prime time rather than doing it overnight and that ended up being logistically difficult after season one of Discovery so they started doing it at midnight but it was it was sort of like appointment television, right? Like the, the the first episode was on CBS and then you popped over to CBS All Access to get the second episode. And I spent the whole day watching the other Star Trek pilots as a way of getting myself excited about it. It's actually one of the first times that I really like used Twitter to talk about Star Trek. And so, you know, my sort of journey as a fan is very much tied into Discovery as a show in its existence and my, you know presence and identity is tied to the fact that Star Trek came back and Star Trek Discovery exists. I was a huge fan prior to that, but it it was really the sort of start of me like kind of being present in an online way. And this show came from that and all and and Trekcore and all that stuff came from that. And so I, I I am sad about it. But I think my sadness about it, so, you know, I've sort of been thinking about it, right? Like, okay, you know, as I said in the in the intro, right? Five seasons actually in the streaming era five seasons is a lot right and if discovery will be five seasons and that's good and that's great right um and i don't feel overly sad about there not being a sixth season i just feel like the source of my sadness or disappointment about it is that this was clearly a decision that was made after season five had been filmed, right? If they had announced a year ago, we are renewing Star Trek Discovery for a fifth and final season, which we're writing right now, and we're excited to give you this this like closing chapter to the Star Trek Discovery tale, and they had gone into the season knowing it was going to be the end, and writing it as if it was going to be the end, I would have been so comfortable with that, right? Like, so fine with that, no problem. If they had said this week... 
we are ending Star Trek Discovery with a sixth season, or we are ending Star Trek Discovery with season five, but we have commissioned three new episodes to make it a 13-episode season, and, you know, to give you a a rousing three-episode finale, uh, which is part of season five, but not connected to the story of season five. Okay, great. What did we get? We got Star Trek Discovery Season 5 will be the end. And basically, if you read between the lines, it doesn't sound like they're giving them new episodes to end it. It sounds like it's like, okay, well, now we got to go back and rewrite the end of the season to make it work as a series finale and not as a season finale. And I'm like, I don't think I like that very much, right? Like, that's not the level of finale that I I want for any Star Trek show. When a Star Trek show ends, it should be one that there's plenty of time to plan for, to address, and to make happen. And it does feel like Discovery, even though it has had a great run in the streaming era by virtue of being cancelled in this way at the point in production when they were there is just a little bit of an enterprisey feeling about it in terms of they do just kind of have to rush their way to the end you took the words right out of my mouth because that's exactly the way enterprise ended that is the one star trek show alex that i am not very familiar with because i've never watched it in its oh entirety. you should it's wonderful enterprise is great uh, I'm trying. I'm trying right now, but that was it. Was the first season hard for you? No, the second season is is the hardest for me. Oh, uh, really? So, well, so let me put it. So, how deep? How deep into the season are you? About halfway. Okay, but I just started. Not, not that long ago. Yeah. So, so the half. first half of season one is pretty ropey, right? You know, episodes like unexpected, the trip pregnancy episode. Um, but the back, I thought the back half of season one was good. The first half of season two was was weak in the midsection, and then I thought it was strong in the back half. But then season three and four are excellent. Season four is my like in my top five Star Trek seasons of all time. Wow. Yeah. You know, it, it's just um, I've heard so many great things about it, and that's the promised land. I'm I'm tough it out to get through. Uh, I'm actually re-watching two series right now, uh, two Star Trek series right now, uh, Deep Space Nine and Enterprise. Well, Deep Space Nine is a re-watch. Enterprise is a first watch. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, is a t- that is a tough comparison. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for recognizing that. Um, I do... Especially in this day and age, I was very surprised to find that out to your point about there being, you know, them just, okay, let's, let's just pay for a few reshoots and a few rewrites and wrap this up nicely and, and inexpensively. I feel like in this day and age where everything is made really to kind of to cater to fans, right? I mean, we're in a heavily intensive culture where it's like, okay, we're kind of at the behest of what a few people on Twitter say about anything, but for better or for worse, right? And, uh, you know, people will rally for a show about Anakin Skywalker and then not like it. <laughs> so, you know, but um, I kind of felt like Discovery would get at the most maybe a half of season five and then a later half of season five. And the later half of season five is the wrap up, you know, and and doesn't Discovery usually get like, I don't know. I don't know what the commitment was for season five, but wasn't it like the one Star Trek show that was going more than 10 episodes? Am I remembering that incorrectly? It had been. Okay. So under the co-financing deal with Netflix for seasons one, two, three, and four, Mm -hmm. they had more than 10 episodes. But for season five, since it's now being funded completely by Paramount Plus, they announced that it would just be a 10 episode season. Oh, okay. So it's it's, when they announced the renewal. But at that point in time, right, like when they announced the renewal, they announced the renewal as though 
like this show was, you know, gonna like season five was not going to be the end. So yes. like, that's why I'm sort of like, I don't know. I'm my hope, my fingers are firmly crossed that they're not rewriting and reshooting the ending. They're doing a couple of extra episodes that will be like a discovery wrap up, but we don't know that. And that's just a guess. And I don't know. I, it also feels to me like if you were going to do that, you would have said that in the initial announcement rather than like holding that back for later. Yes, exactly. I agree with that completely. It does feel as though it was just a sudden corporate decision. And, you know, it is sad because I, I do think that they deserve better than they're getting. All the Star Trek series deserve better than they're getting. And maybe in streaming, it takes series a little bit longer to catch their footing. <laughs> but I think one more season i think if they had given it more than one more season or if that one more season that it was being given was more influenced by fan reactions to other more recent star trek projects that kind of aligned more with star trek than discovery does honestly right for better or for worse because you know i did enjoy watching the show and i watched every episode far more than once you know, I wish it had gotten a better chance to narratively tie more into its universe. Yeah, it's it's such a struggle to talk about Discovery for me, because I just have such massively conflicted feelings about oh, it in terms yeah. of... There are just some parts of it that are just so good, right? Like, let's talk oh, about yeah. like let's talk about the things that that we like about the show. Yes, yes. Doug Jones is Saru. What a wonderful character, oh, right? My like, just God, Doug an, Jones and anything. Period. Yeah, I mean, and in this show, I think he's just sort of given a career best performance as this character. Sonequa Martin Green's performance as Michael Burnham, right? Like absolutely captivating to watch impossible to look away from the screen anytime she's on it i really enjoyed season three i, th I you know i thought the arc was great i thought there were some really terrific episodes and there are some wonderful episodes of discovery across all four seasons lethe if memory serves forget me not um unification three right like just some episodes that you would easily put in the top tier of any star trek at the same time, though, this is also a show that, like, had a strict narrative structure that it certainly fell into in those last two seasons, where it was like, we begin with a question, and we answer the question in the last episode of the season. And that, for me, got really, really played out by the end. That sort of reticence about, like, playing with the universe and, you know, like, sort of being confident and saying, we are the owners of Star Trek now. We're not just, like, here to sort of rent this space out. We are the owners of Star Trek, and we're gonna, like, say what happened to the Klingons by the 32nd century. Say more about the Cardassians or whoever, right? Like, just kind of, like, tell us how it is and use the universe and be really confident in doing that. And, you know, like all of the sort of design decisions, which people have sort of litigated back and forth to high heaven, you know, like however anybody wants to feel about that, right? Like <laughs> that certainly is a part of the legacy of the show, whether you love it or you hate it. Um, it has been like a part of all of this connected together. And so, yeah, it's just like, for me, I feel two things. I feel a, a huge amount of gratitude. I feel a huge amount of gratitude for the success of Discovery, getting it to five seasons and being a success such that it inspired the existence of Lower Decks and Prodigy and Picard and Strange New Worlds. And while of the five current shows, based off of the totality of those shows, Discovery is probably my least favorite. It's also Star Trek, and I like all Star Trek, and all Star Trek is good, and like that still puts it for me 
higher than many other shows on television because I have that sort of natural affinity and connection to the Star Trek franchise. So I feel gratitude for this show and this cast. And this cast has done such an incredible and wonderful job. And they have weathered so many like challenges, right? COVID, Brian Fuller being a flaky bitch, uh, whatever <laughs> ended up happening with Aaron Harbartz and Gretchen Berg, right? Like they got fired halfway through season two. Then Michelle Paradise came in and COVID happened, right? Like it's a show that certainly has its troubled production history. And I don't know if it'll be Mark A. Altman and Ed Gross who are writing the history of this kind of section of the Star Trek franchise. Cause like aside from Picard season three, Mark Altman hates the current kind of iteration of the Star Trek franchise, but whoever it is who writes that behind-the-scenes story of the Kurtzman era, it feels to me like it's a very... They have a lot to write about if they can get people to talk about it. So I, I feel gratitude that Discovery exists for what it gave to the rest of the franchise, and I feel gratitude that Discovery exists for the fact that it pushed the boundaries on Star Trek, it pushed the boundaries on representation in the franchise, and for all that we can possibly say about like how well the the show's philosophy like vibed with the fans or or the fans vibed with it like this show had a very clear identity by the end that was like we are discovery and this is what we're about and if you don't like that fine right but like we have drawn out our identity and said this is who we are and this is the kind of story that we're interested in telling and how we're interested in doing it and i have just a huge amount of respect for that that they really did kind of like you know, what is the identity of Picard? I have a harder time answering that question than I do answering the question of what is the identity of Discovery. The identity of Discovery is that it is about overcoming trauma. It is about doing that together. It is about community and solving challenges as a community. And it is about breaking down traditional structures of society, military, discipline, politics, and saying that ultimately it probably just matters more that we all try and figure this out together than that we hew to some kind of rigid societal norms. Now, there's lots of things about that that lots of Star Trek fans did not kind of connect with. But for those those who did and for those who saw something in that and for those who saw something in like groundbreaking stories around you know adira first transgender character in star trek the first non-binary character in star trek anybody who saw something in these episodes that's wonderful and that's terrific and like i'm so glad that it exists and i really hope whatever ends up happening from here that the ending to this show is a worthy ending for the show that discovery has been and and you know and i agree and and just to continue on things that we like I love that to your point that they didn't they didn't back down. This is the Star Trek that we are and uh, you might not like us now but in another 20 years we're going to be singing a different tone. <laughs> Cuz <Yeah>, that's right. <laughs> Cuz the way people talked about Enterprise when it was on versus how people talk about it now are dramatically different. Hugely different. Dramatically. I mean, and, and, you know, it's the same thing with Voyager and Deep Space Nine, you know, and even arguably Next Generation in the very beginning. But Next Generation's kind of always been the golden child. Let's let's look. They're kind of, you know, after the original series, you know, it, Jonathan Frakes even said it in an interview, you know, at this point, or no, LeVar Burton was the one who said it. He says, at this point, we're the OGs for where William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy were before you know, we're there right now with the season three of Picard. But for Discovery, I like the fact that they're, you know, that they said this is this is what we're gonna do, this is who we are. They did push the lines for boundaries and representation and even emotionalism, you know, 
be it for better or worse. I like the fact that it reignited the television small screen weekly adventures of Star Trek, not just in Discovery, but in four other shows, two others live action, two others in our animation. And it is the reason all all four seasons, pretty soon to be five, are the reasons why we're here talking about it now relevantly instead of looking back at the good old days, right? (laughs) You know, which we kind of are because everything old is uh, new again. But those are the things I liked about it. I also liked the fact that You know, you could see that the writers who understood Star Trek were trying to put little nuggets and elements of Star Trek into these stories wherever they felt that they could. But really, Discovery is going to go down in history as being the Star Trek that wasn't afraid to be something other than Star Trek. Yeah. And that's kind of like... that's an interesting way of putting it. That's kind of... You know, that's going to be, and depending on... It's going to be in the eye of the beholder, whether or not that is a good... Or a bad thing. I think that, like I said, and I keep saying this over and over again every time I talk about it, it's a strength and it's a weakness. But the fact that it's not afraid to embrace that weakness also speaks to the show's emotional intelligence. And it did have an emotional intelligence that none of the shows ever had, that none of the other shows had in terms of its characters, in terms of allowing them to feel and react to things far more closely to the way that you and I am sure react to things now, you know, as opposed to in, in a more idyllic future in 300 years. But, you know, hey, I mean, how idyllic is a future when you have the Emerald Chain? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Which I do love. I, do, I loved, I gotta, I gotta say that, I do love the stories with the Emerald Chain. I do love the stories that focused on, around the Orions and how, um, I can't remember her name right now, but the she was uh, Margot Kidder's niece and she played a great villain in season three which i think was it season three or season four i forget which one but thank you three three and i think you and i I think you said it was three earlier too that you liked felt narratively like it was the only only time that the show cohesively made sense to itself I think season three, personally for me, was the strongest. Four was a challenge and uh and I gotta be honest with you five it doesn't look like anything (laughs) doesn't look like it connects to anything that the show uh, was focused on in any of the prior seasons. So it looked like it was getting ready to go through kind of another tonal shift, another another transformation of sorts. Well, we will keep talking about this at the end of the episode. And we'll kind of expand our thinking outwards the rest of the franchise. So thank you, Star Trek Discovery. More to say in a second. Well, this week's Star Trek Picard episode, 17 Seconds, marks the big entrance of Worf into Star Trek Picard's third season, after the short glimpse at the character last week in Disengage. And Michael Dorn has been talking about his return to play the character. One of the biggest differences between playing Worf in The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine versus today, the time it takes to put the makeup on. The Klingon makeup hasn't evolved much, but the way they put it on has, Michael Dorn said in an interview with TV Line. They have two guys working on me at the same time, so it takes considerable less time. Before it was three hours, two hours, and now it's like an hour. And what's Michael Dorn's take on Worf as a character in the year 2401? Well, he's discovered a lot from The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, Dorn said. There's been a huge shift in who he is. He's discovered that life isn't about a goal or reaching a particular place, it's about the journey. Worf now understands that he doesn't know everything, and he's glad not to know everything. He wants to be on this particular journey, and part of his journey now is pacifism. There's another outlet besides slicing people up. But as 
as we've already seen, don't think that means we aren't going to see war fighting. As Dawn himself added, the only issue with him is he really likes the combat. He is good at it, and he practices at it too. Brian, have you been enjoying Worf in Star Trek Picard Season 3? I always enjoy Worf, but I gotta say, I have not enjoyed him more than I have in this uh, in in his introduction and in this last episode. We're seeing where again, where he, he is today. And Worf is so multidimensional. You know, there's a lot of um, you know, with just to get just to delve a little bit into the history of him, a lot of people have always said that Data and Troy were the Spock split up into two from the original series. And I I have always felt that because, like Spock being a child of two worlds, Worf himself was a child of two worlds. And I kind of feel like he, in that regard, more closely identified to Spock in that when you feel like you're split culturally between two different worlds, sometimes you can feel like you don't belong in either. And I think that Worf had that problem, you know, until he found his family with the Enterprise, just like Spock did, until he found his family with the Enterprise. So I think that he's taken that like Spock did, and he's taken that and he's come full circle and he understands where his strengths are. It's just like all of us as we get older and we look back you know, to stuff in our twenties. And we say, how did that, how did we ever spend so much time on that? You know, how, how did we, how did we, how did we think that this was so important or such a crisis? And, and now we look back and I wish that was my only problem. (laughs) So (laughs) That's kind of where Worf is, you know, and he's, he's been a slayer of this person. He's been a son of that person, brother of that person, but father of who? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Cause no mention of Alexander. And, um, I wonder, look, don't tell me. I know you won't tell me. I know you won't spoil anything. But I, I just want, I, I wonder if he's even going to come up. <laughs> you know, so I just thought that was, it was kind of funny. That's from a meme, by the way. That's not my joke. But I, I love the, the, the dynamic that he has with Rafi, you know, because Rafi is where he, where she's at right now. She been, she would have been the one trying to blow the hole through the view screen. And that's exactly what I caught when Worf said, you know, I used to be like you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, telling the guy he can have his fingernails. And that's true because Worf was ready to blow a hole through the, the view screen. And Rafi's kind of like always from zero to 5,000. But that's part of the reason why we love her. And um, But Worf understands her and he's able to balance her. And Worf being a balance for anybody else, when so many people had to be a balance for Worf, just shows how far he's come. And uh, chamomile tea is always a great choice, but we're not still <laughs> using sugar in the 25th century. It is a much healthier version of stevia because, you know, by then we'll we'll have found out that stevia causes stuff too. Yeah, right. I love Worf in oh, season yeah. three of Picard. I love the dynamic with Raffi. I love the sort of buddy cop comedy-esque like lines and the way that those like what a perfect choice to pair those two characters together for this section of the season and you know have them interact with each other especially because as you so capably put it right there are a lot of similarities i think between raffi today and Worf at an earlier point in his life and so it's fun to see them interact it's fun to see michael dawn playing the role again i mean i think of all of the actors from the next generation like Michael Dorn's probably the one that you would look at and go, you really up to this, right? Not in the sense that like uh, he is in way better shape today if you see Michael Dorn than he was when he was on Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, he's vegan now, right? Super, super healthy. But it's just like he is, you know, 
an older gentleman, as are all of the Next Generation cast, and he doesn't get the, like, Brent Spiner out of not getting to wear exactly the same makeup that he wore for many, many years, you know, to play the character again. So there is that element of, like, he does have that harder task of not just, like, being in shape enough to, which is not a problem for him, but being in shape enough to, you know, be in Star Trek Picard, but, like, then have to go through the makeup process to become Worf all over again and do that day in, day out for, you know, the number of episodes that Worf will appear in this season. And, like, to so to have done all that and slip back into the makeup and the wig and swinging around the Klingon weapons and to just sort of effortlessly kind of glide back into the character and refine the character and have it be a character that feels like it has been 20 years and some things have happened to him in those 20 years that have sort of changed his philosophy a little bit but ultimately is still the same character it's wonderful I really really like it I mean, and do you suppose, uh, I mean, I did a little bit of acting myself and um, on stage and, you know, stage is a very transient thing. You don't often play the same role more than once. And if you do, it's boring because <laughs> it's not episodic. It's the same story. But do you suppose that it's probably like putting on an old pair of pants and a comfortable old pair of pants? And obviously the pants are the same, but the surrounding, the environment in which you're wearing them is different. So do you suppose it's like that for him? Because it just seemed natural and probably more so in different ways than it did from the others we've seen so far. I guess after playing War for, what is it, 275 previous times <laughs> before Picard yeah. season three, there probably is a certain amount of muscle memory that maybe never goes away maybe so that's true you're right i forgot that he has he has the distinction of playing in more hours of star trek as as uh, his character than any other in history which is quite amazing actually because you know considering he was also his own grandfather in star trek 6 so uh i mean he's he's always been great and actually because of the challenges he's had he i've, I've heard him talk about over the years he's challenges he's had with his skin because of the makeup and the prosthetics and you know and just the the process of going through that because of how much longer it used to be before versus how it is now we have all kinds of technology and appliances we didn't before i honestly thought he was going to be the person that we were least likely to see come back because of how much of it he's done and um let's be honest i mean the most media aspects of his role that he got you know, we're in Deep Space Nine. You know, I mean, I think Deep Space Nine wrote the best for him. I mean, up until now, because <laughs> up until now, it seems like there's a, a tremendous understanding of the character of Worf that might not have always been. I'm not going to say it wasn't always there, but I think that it might not have always been acted upon by the creative teams that that wrote for for his character. Well, following the reveal last week that British actor Ed Spalier's role in Star Trek Picard is to play the son of Jean-Luc Picard and Beverly Crusher, Jack Crusher, in Star Trek Picard Season 3, Spalier's has finally been let loose to talk to the press about the role. In an interview with Esquire, Spalier's talked about how the character was pitched to him by Picard showrunner Terry Metalis. He wanted the guy to be incredibly complicated, and that gave me a chance to maybe look at myself in a way that I hadn't before, Spalier's said. I was able to dig deeper in a way I never had 
bad. This is a multifaceted guy who is trying to work out his place in the world, in his universe, but he's battling with very real things. Dynamics, family dynamics, things I've experienced, things you've experienced. Spalier's also talked about his preparation for the character. He said, quote, in preparation before shooting, I would spend three or four hours a day working on the text, working on the character, and then I'd finish that day by watching one of the films or watching a couple of episodes that allowed things to just wash over me and absorb this world. I didn't necessarily go into the semantics of exactly how the TNG characters were moving and thinking and talking because I feel like Jack's his own man. He wasn't brought up by Picard. I feel like he had his own identity to hold on to, but I certainly did a lot, a lot of watching. And in talking to Cinema Blend, Spilliers talked about how he hoped this isn't the only time he'll get to play Jack Crusher. Speaking about Terry Metalis's comments on a potential continuation or spin-off from Star Trek Picard, Spilliers said, quote, he's got a lot of ideas about it. I'm not going to lie because I'm proud of the fact that Terry and I discussed this almost every day for the last 18 months. What could happen? He pitched this particular story and narrative to me as if it's, and I think he grew in this assumption as he went along, that this is almost like Jack's origin story. There are definitely more stories to be told if we're given the opportunity to tell them, and I know that Terry has bucket loads of ideas. Brian, how are you enjoying the character of Jack Crusher? I think he's terrific. I think he captures some of the elements. You know, it was actually my wife who said that he has a Kirk-like quality to him. And let's assume that the next series, because of how well this one will obviously be received, let's assume that there's a future series that continues in the prime timeline, with the prime timeline being the next generation timeline, it would be good to have a character that is kind of reminiscent of Kirk again, but has the, you know, but he's in the modern day and and he's, instead of fighting, he's, I don't know, Kirk was a fighter. Kirk was a fighter, but he was a huge hero. But he's a different, Jack would be a different kind of hero if he were a central character in a new series. I see that potential for him to have more stories written around him. He's very exciting. I think that he he adds a dose of reality to it. And he's kind of our anchor to the fact that not every neighborhood in, in the galaxy is safe and uh, rosy and taken care of by the Federation. Yeah, I, I I really love Jack Crusher's character. Even more on display this week in 17 seconds is that sort of sense. I talked a little bit about this in last week's episode that like there is a Kirk-like quality to him. To me, it feels also very much like a young Picard type quality from the from you know what we've been told about Picard's backstory and the fact that he was something of a reckless womanizing in some ways young Picard is presented as the popular image of Kirk that Kirk himself never really was, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and I think Spilliers' performance is really terrific and a, a really good grounding point for this season. And it's one of those things where it's like, when it was announced that Alison Pill and Santiago Cabrera and Evan Evergora and Issa Briones wouldn't be carrying over from seasons two to three, you know, there was a lot of disappointment where I was like, oh, well, we're jettisoning, we're jettisoning these interesting new characters in favor of bringing back the old ones. And obviously they have brought back the old ones, but there are some interesting new characters in season three of Star Trek Picard as well, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, it's fun, it's great, and I'm really looking forward to seeing more of them. And you know, I gotta be honest with you, Alison Pill and Santiago Cabrera and um, the gentleman who played uh, Elnor, whose name escapes me at the moment, but they were underserved. I thought that they were, I thought they were fun, but they were largely underserved. It felt like they were placeholders to me. 
it felt like they were placeholders for Picard's crew because Patrick Stewart didn't want to go backwards to the next generation. Because logically, you know, I mean, the first person that he called was Riker here in season three when it came to Beverly. And maybe it's because it, you know, it came to Beverly. But wouldn't you think that he would call upon the old family when it came to Data's daughter? I mean, that to me, it all, and, and I'm not making an excuse for, you know, this should have happened earlier because I'm glad it's happening when it is and it's happening for larger scales. There's real stakes in this story. It didn't feel, the stakes were significant in the fact that there was a ban on uh, synthetic life forms in season one, but it just, I don't know, it just didn't, it didn't gel for me personally and um and i know that it did a lot of for a lot of people i'm not taking away from that at all but it just kind of felt like he wouldn't have called upon strangers when it came to data's offspring <laughs> pardon the pun but you know it, it it was just uh very interesting and and it felt like all of these characters were just placeholders for people that we probably would have had that we were more familiar with otherwise right because it's like you said we we jettisoned these new characters that we didn't really, I feel like we never really served very well for uh, legacy characters that are being served extremely well. <laughs> so, so I don't know. I, I was disappointed to see them go only because I felt like there was more potential to see, to see more happen with them. Even uh, Elnor, you know, changing the focus there. But I'm glad we got to keep Rafi and, and Seven. Well, and lastly this week, Paramount have announced additional home media releases for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 1, and the home media release for Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3. And it's a good news, bad news situation. First, the good news. Star Trek Strange New Worlds will be the first TV Star Trek home re media release to get the 4K treatment. On May 16th, two months following the Blu-ray release, a 4K Blu-ray steelbook of Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 1 will hit the market. It is currently listed on Amazon for $60 and is expected to have the same special features as the regular Blu-ray release. And now for the bad news, Star Trek Lower Deck Season 3 is getting a more limited home media release than previous seasons. A DVD release of the season has been announced for April the 25th, but the Blu-ray will only be manufactured on demand and is not yet available for pre-order. The move likely signals that home media for Star Trek Lower Decks has not been selling well enough to justify a regular Blu-ray release. Special features this time for Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3 lean hard into the commentaries, with five episodes getting a commentary this time around, including the Deep Space Nine episode Hear All Trust Nothing, that features Nanar Visitor, Armin Shimmerman, the four regulars of Lower Decks, and Mike McMahon. That one's probably going to be pretty fun. Brian, will you be picking up either of these Star Trek home media releases? I will, absolutely. And I am late on the upgrade to 4K as far as my 4K media player. I still have a standard Blu-ray player, but I do have a 4K TV. So there's lots of 4K releases, Star Trek and otherwise, that I want to be getting. But I definitely, I know that I will be getting it for Strange New Worlds. For lower decks, I haven't really dived into the animated home video releases or the, the home video releases. Oh, so you're part of the problem releases. then, Brian. You're the reason why there's not a regular Blu-ray. I'm just kidding. I, I, I'm just kidding I, with you. you I'm know kidding what? with you. You, it's it's just one of those things that because sometimes I have a I, as much as I like lower decks, there's a part of me that's like, how is that canon? It's comedy now. You just you ju you just canonize that Captain Kirk's work, uh, Captain Kirk and Mister Spock's work on a mini R. I think is it mini R seven was undone because they they went back to uh, <laughs> or no, not a mini R seven. Actually, it was the the land of the uh, the the Archons. Yes, Landru. They went back to uh, worshipping Landru. <laughs> 
which which I gotta say, as much as I laughed at, I'm like, oh come on, come on, Captain Kirk's <laughs> Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock's work just easily unravels like that. No wonder why Khan got pissed off at because <laughs> you don't come back and check on anybody. But as much as as, as much as I laughed at that, I thought, oh no, this is canon now. So I I haven't I haven't flocked to the the home. I am part of the problem, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I think I will because actually I am down for that the Deep Space Nine, the special features with the Deep Space Nine episode that they did this past season, which I loved. Hey, and with streaming services, I don't think this will ever happen to any of the Star Trek shows, but with some of the other streaming services just dumping TV shows off of the service that don't have home media releases, it's probably a good idea for everybody if there is a TV show you like to own it, a physical copy of it, given it seems like it's not like a, a written rule that says that if a series is only available on streaming that it'll be available there forever yeah and then i guess you know i i found that out that that is true even if you buy it like if you buy it it doesn't mean anything you don't own it it's if it's gone it's gone and so it's the greatest argument i've always been a a tremendous supporter a far greater supporter of standard hard media as opposed to streaming anyway. So I'm sometimes a little late to the party on buying um, home media, but I do eventually get around to buying all of it. Like I have all of the, I can't tell you how many times I've bought the original series and and Next Generation. I've bought them over and in those movies (laughs) every time. I mean, I had the, Alex, when they got, remember when they got the VHSs for the original six movies, you had to get them because you had to buy them again because of the, the, the Enterprise being stretched across the six you had to get that <laughs> who did, then you had to buy the dvds when they were new and then for those for for those of us i didn't i wasn't personally because i was too young but uh and i don't know about you but laserdisc a lot of people had the original series and and uh and the movies on laserdisc and so uh you know for those people that's one more medium but i had uh i even had hd dvd and that didn't last for like 30 seconds. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so I bought these movies over and over again. And I'm getting ready to buy them again, Alex, because of 4K. Yep. Here we go all over again. All right. Well, we've <laughs> talked about the facts. And now let's speculate on what's going to happen in the future of Star Trek. You make some very good points, Captain. But it's still all speculation and theory. So each week, my guests and I give you a wish or theory we're nurturing about any of the shows or the future of the franchise. So Brian, let's hear your theory or wish for this week. Ah, uh, this one's kind of this one's kind of unique, Alex. Because all right, go for it. You, you already know. You already know what happens in the next three episodes of Picard, but uh, season three. But um, I have a feeling. I don't know why, but I have a feeling that this is uh, the center of this anomaly, the center of this vortex somehow is going to connect back to Star Trek The Motion Picture. I feel like that is the case, not only because they brought the guy with the special musical instrument back to do the... Oh yes, the blaster beam! The blaster beam! Thank you, that's the one! I love the way, I I, I love your accent, the way... <laughs> the blaster beam! See, I, when I say the blaster beam, it's just boring Californian. <laughs> boring Californian. And that's another reason why I'm grateful for Ed Spillery joining, joining the cast. But um, access, we need more access in the world. But the blaster beam, bringing that back, and, and that was the first when i um 
I watched a uh, YouTube presentation where they were doing a whole thing on the Star Trek, the motion picture music, and it was hours long. And it was with a bunch of people who nerd out about music scores the way you and I probably do. And they were talking about how the, how the guy with the only, I think there's only one gentleman with the blaster meme and he's back from doing it for the motion picture for a third season of Picard. And I don't know if I don't, I didn't know if that was kind of like a, we're just bringing him in here for the homage piece. Or I think what made me feel like it might connect to the motion picture is the nature of this cloud that they're in and the fact that it might be sentient. Mm, interesting. Um, that's kind of, I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm chasing an untamed ornithoid, but, <laughs> but I, I ignited the midnight petroleum on, uh, on that theory <laughs> I've been watching after first watching the episode. So I <laughs> kept my wife up. She's like, okay, honey, let's theorize about this in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> it is morning, but, uh, that, that's where I'm going. And then as far as, uh, it, you know, just how this whole thing unfolds, I am really, Curious to see who is going to peek out of the woodwork from Deep Space Nine, if anybody does, because of how many people, how many of our characters from that show were invested in uh, matters involving the Dominion War. And now it just seems like uh, it seems like we haven't heard the last of, of the folks from the Great Link. And and I know I'm supposed to be theorizing here, but you know, did you catch the little? Did you catch the little moment to our favorite sh shapeshifter in this last episode? Oh yeah, it was yeah oh my, oh it just it just grabbed my heart because that was one of my favorite conversations was ever in my career was with Renee Arbuzonois, and so I was very touched by that. By the way, but I I just uh, that's my theory. That's my that's my far and away. Uh, possibly very far-fetched theory yeah the the odo reference made me think that uh, your theory is wonderful but i've obviously i'm not going to comment on it because uh, yeah, 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 yeah. but <laughs> the the odo reference is wonderful and makes me think that if renee had still been with us then odo would definitely have had a cameo in this season that you would have seen the conversation between odo and Worf. yes i'm, yes, sh I'm sure it. of that that like who knows what other deep space nine or if any deep space nine characters will appear in star trek picard season three but given the way that the story has been presented to this point it feels to me very clear that if renee had been alive that odo would have been a deep space nine character that appeared in this season for sure Oh my God. And what I wouldn't give because he was just really one of my favorite characters on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Wonderful. Hard to pick one favorite on that show, but Odo, I loved Odo. All right. Let me give you my, uh, I don't know if it's a theory or a wish or whatever, but I've, I'm just going to talk for a minute. This is kind of coming back to the top of the episode and, and talking about the cancellation of Discovery. And, and you had sort of started to talk about like your sense of what you think this means to the Star Trek franchise. And so I wanted to kind of talk about that too. And it feels to me a little bit like the Star Trek franchise is in a transitional place today. And I can't like fully decide yet. I'm not sure yet. And I think only time will tell me like whether what it's transitioning to is good or bad. Or I get that's probably the wrong way of putting it. Whether what we're transitioning to is better or worse than what we have right now. It could still be good, but it might be worse than what we have right now. It could be better and, you know, even better than what we have right now. And I, I don't fully know, right? Like, let's just like get one thing out of the way. This is not 1969. This is not 2005, right? Like, I know there's a, there's a lot of disappointment amongst people who like Discovery very much around the end of the show. And obviously it is a huge deal for Discovery, but like, this 
is not Enterprise getting cancelled. This is not the original series getting cancelled where it is the only show and the moment that it goes off the air, there will be, there is no new Star Trek in the pipeline. There is nothing lined up, right? We still have three Star Trek shows in production. Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds, Star Trek Prodigy, Star Trek Lower Decks, and plenty of rumours, some of them very credible, about more Star Trek shows that might be just around the corner, right? Starfleet Academy has been mentioned a bunch of times. Section 31 has been mentioned a bunch of times. You know, who knows when and if those are ultimately going to appear, but like, they've been talked about enough that, you know, you'd think there was a decent chance that one or both of them will ultimately happen in some way, shape or form. And so it's not 1969, it's not 2005, right? Put a button on that. The news that Discovery is ending does not mean that Star Trek is ending again. It just means that Discovery is ending. But we are in a bit of a transitional space. And what will the Star Trek franchise look like in 2025 or 2026 compared to 2021, 2022? Because we have been pretty like static for a couple of years around five shows. You know, those shows have been pushed out at a very high velocity, right? Last year, we had 50 episodes of Star Trek. We thought we were going to get 50 episodes of Star Trek this year. I think we're now on track for, you know, more like 40 um, since Discovery Season 5 has been pushed to next year and like there's sort of i think there's two realistic stories you can tell the first says we're still on the upswing right yes discovery is coming to an end but we have an extremely successful season of star trek picard that is playing out right now that is you know sort of more than most with one exception of a Star Trek show kind of cutting into the popular consciousness in a way that the other Star Treks haven't, in a way, candidly, that Discovery never did. And we have Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is a run, which is a runaway breakout hit for the Star Trek franchise that did break into the popular consciousness. And there was a lot of excitement about not just from the sort of hardcore Star Trek fans. And so we not just have one show that like is starting to kind of hit more widely. We now have two two shows that are starting to hit more widely and like that's a great place to be in coupled with the fact that animated star trek continues to go gangbusters in my opinion lower decks is excellent prodigy's excellent right like we still have a slate of star trek shows that we can feel really proud of and that yeah, there might be some contraction but it sounds like there's gonna be a new show announcement right uh it sounds like starfleet academy you know has been talked about and the intensity of it being talked about sort of has been increasing wouldn't shock me if there was an announcement of something like that, you know, in the short to medium term. But, right, like, that's one side of the story. The other side of the story is... Discovery just got cancelled, and it wasn't by their own choice, right? Like, um, we've talked about that. Two, there is a contraction within the streaming world happening across all of the services right now that even Star Wars and Marvel are not immune to, right? They've talked about slowing down the release strategy for the Marvel Cinematic Universe projects on Disney+. Plus. A couple of the Star Wars projects have kind of, you know, disappeared off of the, the development slate. Even Star Wars is not immune to what is happening, and maybe that says that that we are going to see some contraction where it's not going to be 50 new weeks of Star Trek every year and it's not going to be 50 episodes and it's not going to be five shows. Maybe it's just three or maybe it's four or maybe it's even two, right? And that they will hit sort of the steady state for Star Trek at a lower level than it is today going forward. You know, and that's still less than it was today. And then coupled with that, I think... 
my sense about the sort of merchandising events, like, you know, the sort of outside of the show piece of Star Trek this time last year was that things were on the upswing. Playmates was coming back. We were a month away from the official Star Trek convention that was run by a new licensee who was a really serious player in the business. Um, You had all kinds of, you know, different product lines were kind of getting off the ground and things were happening. And there was just this sort of palpable sense of like, yeah, it's finally happening, right? It's finally arriving. The, The sort of juggernaut is getting underway and this is becoming potentially a little bit more of a cultural phenomenon again. And then the merchandising and the events have crashed hard in the last six months. No other way to put it. We've got very few novels on the on the agenda. Star Trek Mission Seattle was cancelled. Um, yes, we've had the first uh, round of figures from Playmates, um, but we're still waiting for the Prodigy action figures. Those have now been delayed for months and months and months, and we've not gotten their second uh, wave of announcements that were due early this year. Well, it's not so early in 2023 anymore, and they're just hasn't been a lot of like new announcements of product right where are any products connected to star trek picard season three right like where are even t-shirts connected to it nowhere to be seen the star trek shop the even the official star trek store has like really slowed down the merchandise that it's doing and so it's like on the the positive side of the story says that we says that things are starting to go really well maybe there is a little bit of contraction happening but maybe that's to focus on just higher quality product period but then the transitioning to a worse place says actually there probably is some contractioning happening and it might be contraction all across the board and i sort of said this on Twitter where I was like, was 2022 the best that it's going to be for this current era of Star Trek? That's not to say that it will end anytime soon, but if you went back and said what was your favourite year of Star Trek you know, 2017 to present, whenever that is, will 2022 be our consistent answers for the number of shows we got, the live events, the merchandise, the products, the sense of hope and optimism about the franchise and where it was heading that a year later you know, maybe it started to go off the boil a little bit. I don't know, Brian, what do you think? I think as long as the shows can continue to be different enough from each other that franchise fatigue can't be something that is applied to it because all the shows are very different from each other and 2022 will be it just really depends on the fan like for me i think 2022 was a great year i kind of look at the franchise as there's how i feel about it as a as a fan and i'm a movie and television fan i think first than i am then i'm a star trek fan and the reason why i say that is because i'm not going to say everything is good because i love everything from star trek is good because i love star trek i am going to critique it because because I want it to be better. I want it to live up to its fullest potential. But any year where on May the 4th, Strange New Worlds is one of the reasons why Star Trek is getting as much, if not more, press than Star Wars that particular day. Who knows? I don't know who won that day. Probably Star Wars still did. <laughs> but because, you know, it's always uh, Star Trek. Unfortunately, we're always the uh, bridesmaid, never the bride. But um, any year where we're cool again, where our beloved Star Trek is cool again and it's in the zeitgeist is a good year, not just for us as fans, but for Star Trek and its continued longevity uh, into the future with with new, hopefully new good shows and writing and and opportunities for creativity. And, And hopefully we can go back to moving forward and away from legacy characters. But I think 2022... And then even actually, I would arguably say, if I had to pick, February 2023, last month, was probably the biggest Star Trek has been in terms of media attention since generations, since Captain Kirk was going to die. And so while 2022 might be for a lot of people, I I would have to say that last month, 
it's kind of like that one thing being in conjunction with my generation or arguably our generation's batman michael keaton right coming back to the flash and then harrison ford coming back to indiana jones and star trek the next generation cast in star trek again holy crap i just woke up it's 1989 <laughs> yeah right <laughs> okay so <laughs> so i'm happy about that so i have to say uh i would have to say 2023 february 2023 is probably the best uh, cuz it was also before the ca- the discovery cancellation news and no matter how you feel about it different indifferent indifferent to it or not i was completely indifferent to enterprise and i was still devastated to find out that it was being canceled in 2005 so and i have that same reaction reaction now but you know things were different then because it felt like once that got canceled there were no other projects that i was aware of that were in the in the fire but um you know i would have to say 2023 absolutely now do i hope it will do i think it will lead to toys and to marketing probably not unfortunately uh or uh, additional products probably not unfortunately but i do love that everywhere i go there's the star trek the next generation cast talking about picard do you have a theory or a wish for Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, or Prodigy that you'd like to share? Tweet them to me at Weekly Trek or email them to me at weeklytrek at the tricordertransmissions.com and I might feature you a theory in a future episode. Well, that's all the time we've got for this episode of Weekly Trek. Thank you so much to my guest, Brian Kane, for joining me today. Brian, how can people contact you if they want to continue the conversation? I am Brian Kane. I am B-R-Y-A-N-C-A-I-N at Twitter, Instagram, and on the Stardate. It's exactly as it's spelled on Twitter and Instagram, and we'll be coming back in new episodes this week. So keep an eye. And you can find this show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander T. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five star review on your podcast player of choice. And please check out some of the other great shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. And if you like our shows, please also consider becoming a Patreon of Tricorder, which you can find at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. And lastly, if you're looking for Star Trek news on the internet, I hope you will turn to TrekCore.com. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you to all of my listeners. And until next week, live long and prosper. Prosper.